This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. On this week's episode, a modern-day David and Goliath story is playing out in St. John the Baptist Parish as residents fight the proposed construction of a large industrial-sized grain terminal, but they may now have some powerful allies. That story, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, environmental reporter Delaney Dreyfus. Hi, Delaney. Hello. Photojournalist LaChance Perry is here. Hi, LaChance. Hi, Carolyn. And managing editor Katie Rechtal. Hey, Katie. Hey, hey, guys. Good. All right, Delaney and LaChance, West Bank residents fighting the gigantic Greenfield Grain Terminal have been given a boost by news from the National Park Service, among others which is considering the area for a prestigious historical designation which could impact future development of large industrial building permits. First of all, tell us about this area and why its significance. We've talked about this area a lot, but give us a rundown of the area and its importance. This area is one of the last untouched section of what is known as the the German coast. much of this area between Baton Rouge and New Orleans is um, dominated by industry, uh, so much so that it has become known as Cancer Alley. Um, There are a lot of health problems that uh, the communities that live along this stretch of the river are are dealing with because of all of the the factories and the refineries that um, have taken up residence along the river there. Um, and so this this stretch on the west bank of the river in St. John the Baptist Parish is still largely agricultural, still untouched, uh, has a few historic plantations that have uh, one has opened to the public uh, in the last decade uh, to serve as a museum, to serve as one of uh, the nation's leading interpretations of slavery. And it's an important area that uh, that that is still intact and can be preserved. Okay, and now before we get into what what's the new developments that have happened that that maybe that are a good sign for potentially stopping this Greenfield's um, grain elevator, let's talk about who they are and what they're proposing. Yes, so Greenfield is a company based out of Colorado. Um, they have an LLC in Louisiana, um, and they have proposed a grain export terminal um, where the grain would not, it would not be processed there. uh, Well, it would not be produced there. It would be driven there by trucks from where it is grown and processed through this very, very large elevator. The, The plans for the elevator are a few feet taller than the Superdome in New Orleans. It would really create just this towering structure. Um, There would be lots of escalators for moving the grain around uh, that the company has said would be covered to try and and minimize uh, grain dust from seeping out and reaching the community. Um, But it would really, it would create a lot of traffic along that river road that we've been talking about, uh, as well as it would create a new uh, kind of port in the river itself, which might drive further industry to come to this area. And the grain presumably is is being um, harvested 
in parts far beyond. So you you alluded to the the traffic. The grain is being harvested elsewhere, and and it would be trucked to this facility, processed at this facility, and then sent out on barges on the river to export it somewhere. All right, we've discussed this a lot, and we've got the with the Whitney plantation is right there. There's a sugarcane plantation in that stretch. There is Evergreen Plantation, which is a working sugarcane farm, um, but it also has been described as one of the largest intact plantation systems of the South, uh, and they serve to do a lot of history. They do not give tours in the same way that Whitney does, but they yeah. do have a lot of research and a lot of information there, as well as still being a working farm. Okay. So zoning became an issue with Greenfield. Originally, it was, let's see, what was the sequence of events? It was zoned ag agrarian, and then to industrial, but then back to agrarian in 1990. Is that right? So it became industrial zoning in 1990. And that was part of a plan for Formosa to build a rayon pulp factory on this mm -hmm. same plot of land. Um, and that was involved in a corruption case. The parish president went actually went to jail for his role in aiding Formosa in developing, getting this plot of land and developing this plot of land. And the factory was never built. Uh, the plot of land was eventually sold and a few years ago ended up in, in the possession of Greenfield. They bought it. Um, and now Greenfield has these plans for this giant grain terminal there. And so the uh, members of the community have been fighting against this uh, industrial zoning. They believe that because the way that it became industrial zoned for industrial use in 1990 was corrupt that the ordinance should be nullified mm. and they went to court the descendants specifically they went to court and earlier this year in august a judge found that um the ordinance from 1990 should be nullified and it was nullified um so the land has gone back to agrarian agricultural zoning the parish government does not seem very happy about that. They, they, uh, some some members of the parish government, I would seem to want it to return to industrial zoning, but a judge has ruled that that cannot happen yet. Um, there has to be more more processes to go through. So right now, it is currently agricultural zoning again. Lachance, I feel like when you guys were going down there the discussion was a lot about sort of like what you just come from this marathon fire, right? Doing the same work with, with Delaney checking all the chemistry numbers and everything else for everything that came out of the chimney and you getting the visuals of that big black, black smoke. What are you seeing when you, like, how would you describe that landscape from your camera lens as you're coming down that West bank, how much different it is? So there's literally a striking um, sharp contrast between one side of the river and the other side. And if you refer back to the Marathon Refinery, you can clearly see the magnitude and the size of these chemical plants that line that side of the river. 
On the other side, which Delaney and I were working on on River Road, is completely different because you see the houses, you see the farmland, you see more of this agricultural side that you don't see on the other side. And honestly, what's what strikes me is actually what isn't captured in the photos. And there's a silence. There's just natural sound that embodies that side of the river, the the birds, the insects, all of those things would virtually disappear with the building of this grain terminal. And something else that was noted that Delaney mentioned earlier was that it would be so tall, um, taller than the Superdome, that actually would impede on the ability for people to get natural sunlight to their housing. So it was stated that um, some people won't even get sunlight to their homes until 1 p.m. or after that. And if you think about that and you think about what we need as human beings, just what we need to live life, that is a serious, serious impact just on a natural way of living. And it's something that you can't fathom until it's actually happening. So I think that having these conversations and starting to see how it can affect people's life living day to day is something very serious. So there there's that there's the effort the, at the zoning level right now. Was there a formal or informal process to petition for historic designation at all and the the other um, arms of the government, which may be coming in now with their long arm to, to as in a friendly way to protect this area. How did that happen? That happened largely from uh, community advocacy. Um, the Louisiana Trust for um, Historic Preservation recognized this untouched section of River Road as a very important place to be preserved. They submitted uh, Brian Davis, the executive director of the Louisiana Trust, submitted um, this area to the National Trust for Historic Preservation for consideration for their list of the most endangered places uh, in the country in 2023. Um, and it was chosen as one of the most endangered historic places in the country. Um, and so the National Trust has now become involved in these permitting review processes that the Army Corps of Engineers has um, been on, that have been ongoing for more than a year now. And members of the community, specifically people who work at Evergreen and Whitney plantations, submitted this area, this 14 mile stretch of River Road to the National Park Service for consideration as a national historic landmark district. Because so yeah, there's a couple of agencies that could extend some help here in preventing this this construction project. Lachance, I forget if you grew up in New Orleans, did you? I am originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, born in That's right. Okay, okay. I ask because in your story, Delaney, you talk about that there's a in the curriculum in in Louisiana in high school or maybe earlier, they teach about the history of this particular part of the coast, the German coast. Can you talk about that? Yes, that is a required course that happens in high school. Um, I learned that from the Louisiana Trust for Historic Preservation. 
Um, and this this area of the German coast is very important historically. Uh, German immigrants moved there and started farming this land. Uh, they were able to bring their produce down the river to New Orleans. And New Orleans was very dependent on this food. And that it, it's important not only to the history of the rest of Louisiana, but it's important to the history of New Orleans. In the story, you also talk about how the distinction of, is it the National Historic designation that's that would be the first time that it would be um, about the culture of a place rather than a structure? Is, is that right? I, I've heard from many, many community members, many people that work in historic preservation that this is um, one of the first opportunities for the National Park Service to recognize a national historic landmark district that uh, comes more from the people, the descendants who live there still, um, and the culture of the area as opposed to the buildings that are still there. Um, this is not a commercial area, which is more uh, typical of being given this this landmark designation. Um, okay. it, the National Park Service has said it is a little, it is premature to call it the first one, um, but it is one of the first. You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are environmental reporter Delaney Dreyfus, photojournalist LaChance Perry, and managing editor Katie Rechtal. Hi, I'm Marta Jusen. If you've been a longtime reader of The Lens, you probably know we are a place to learn about important issues, especially those underrepresented by other media sources. It's hard work, and it takes a dedicated staff who care about this community. Please make a tax-deductible contribution today to support our work at our website, thelensnola.org donate. Thank you. Lachance, you've got a photograph of a woman who pulls aside some willows or whatever the trees are there to show you her mom. I think it's her mother's tombstone or her mother's grave. It's, yes. Is that typical in the area? There, there are hundreds of people who have their, their ancestors and their families buried in their backyards right there. I would say that it is pretty typical just because it's a small, more rural area and it it's not too many places that have central locations um, for burials and things of that nature. And there's also a lot of history. A lot of the people who were buried there had been there for a very, very long time. So it's become a part of the tradition to just place other family members as well there. Um, the thing that I find very interesting about that, though, is it is actually the families and the residents in that area's responsibility to maintain those different grave sites. So they don't have anybody to come and cut the grass or to maintain the burial plots. They have to do that themselves. And I think that when you see things like the overgrown brush and you see things like a baby's um, tombstone, that's covered and there's somebody who has to physically come out of their house with all the materials to take care of that. It really makes you think about how living um, in these different areas are all interconnected. Like 
family is so deeply rooted. It's ingrained in every part of living in areas, especially on this side of River Road. Um, and I think that just seeing that was just so powerful that the fact that she was able to point out her legacy generations. And I think that's the important part of this story is how the Grainfield Terminal could threaten that. It could literally threaten the fact that future generations won't be able to say, this is where my grandmother is. This is where my father is. This is where my cousin is. So there's a disconnect and a separation amongst the culture, the history of these people. And I think that is really, really important for people to understand that it, it, there is policy that is important, but the culture, the life, and the people and how it will affect them just on an everyday scale is important here as well. And in that same note, I think that in this constant conversation of industry, we aren't also thinking of the other businesses that are also already there in that area. For example, the Banner Sisters own a cafe in that area. What will happen to them? Um, the Whitney Plantation? I know that one of the things we talked about is how that will affect the tourist experience. How will that affect the museum experience? And I think that one of the really unique things about the Whitney Plantation is that it's structured to focus on the experience of the enslaved people. So you get a small taste of what it's like to walk around in that grueling heat, in those grueling temperatures, to imagine working out there. All of that experience will ultimately be affected because you have to think about noise. You have to think about stretches of land that are impeded by buildings and metal and all of these things that weren't there. So it, it it does impact the experience and it takes away from what the point of that museum is for. So I think that there's a lot of different layers here that is going to affect the community. And it's, it's something that's serious. Delaney, you say with the possibility of the National um, Historic Landmark District designation, what that requires or what that entails is a year-long evaluation, basically, of um, archaeologists, anthropologists, researchers spending time in the area. You can only assume, I suppose, that that means they will be talking to people like Lachance just talked about, the, the women that she met who have their family buried in their backyard and I suppose that that's accept, that's uh, what to expect. Yeah, so this uh, this research, this year-long period started in August, um, and the National Park Service held a public meeting in Edgard um, that a lot of people attended. Um, many brought their own documents, brought some of the history that they have uh, worked on preserving on the area. I know that the Evergreen Plantation, the Whitney Plantation, and even Laura Plantation, which is um, down the road in St. James Parish, they have been working with the anthropologists to share the knowledge that they already have within their institutions and make sure that it gets to the National Park Service so that over the next year, the National Park Service can look at all of the evidence and declare, hopefully, by next August or not, this is going to be a landmark district. Okay. 
and that that would be a, a tremendous victory, but it would not necessarily ensure no building there forever. No, it it does not. It would not prevent construction, um, but it would make it harder for industrialization to move into the area. Um, there is already some consideration for the effect that any construction would have on evergreen plantation as evergreen plantation is a a landmark itself um but this would increase the scrutiny to the maximum extent feasible because the, the very land that greenfield owns would be a part of this district and it would have this this maximum consideration for how how a grain terminal would affect the landmark and the whole area. Okay, so it, it, it wouldn't preclude that uh, some development from ever happening, but it would make it a lot harder. It would not preclude development from happening, but it would make, it would require the Army Corps of Engineers to um, scrutinize even further any effects that the development of a grain terminal would have on this area and on its okay. historic site. Greenfield has not made any sort of comment about this setback, I will call it that. I wonder if Greenfield ever, maybe they've sunk so much money into this now that they have to just carry on, damn the torpedoes and just see what happens. Or at some point, do they say, okay, we're not wanted here, we're going to go somewhere else? I mean, that's why Formosa, I think, Formosa had opposition enough that they have folded a few times. So it seems like it seems like sort of um, public outcry does matter. What I will say, though, Katie, is um, it seems that Greenfield does have some community members who support them. And um, I think that's very interesting when in Wallace, the support is shown as simple as yard signs and yard markers that they stick in front of their homes. And at first I noticed a bunch that said, stop green, uh, stop the Greenfield terminal in Wallace, prevent it from happening with these yellow and black yard signs. And then on the opposite side, you have support Greenfield, where for support Greenfield, um, there are these green signs, they're white, they're like, I would consider them dainty in a way, like almost soft compared to the other ones who are like just bold words, bold letters, bold colors. And I think even keeping with that compare and contrast, it's literally what you said earlier, Carolyn, a David and Goliath story where you have this large industry trying to almost soften itself in a sense. And you have these smaller groups that are trying to make it bigger and bring, bring a bigger voice to their cause. And I think that it's just a very interesting when you think and you hear about the reasons why people support the Greenville terminal versus the reasons why people are against it. So it's, it's definitely an interesting thing. Mm, that's a really, really good point. I was just going to say, I polled the kids in the next room about, first of all, they said that they had Louisiana history in middle school. It was a middle school topic for them. And I asked them if they remembered the German coast. Sadly, there was not one eye <laughs> that had any recognition. 
about the German coast. So it seems to me like it will be also important to perhaps reinforce things that have been forgotten from middle school, right? That's a good point too. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for this amazing story and the really rich and beautiful images that you brought along with them, Lachance. It's to see that stuff along with the words and you, you really understand what's at stake here. So thank you both. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. You really are we're on your game. I love the back and forth with each other. Like you really know this topic up and down and I appreciate it. This is Behind the Lens, the podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guest this week, environmental reporter Delaney Dreyfus, photojournalist LaChance Perry, and managing editor Katie Rechtel. You can read all the week's other news, plus opinions, at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening.